Okay, well, I wonder if you would turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. And the very first chapter and the very first verse. If this is your church, you're going to hear me say that ever such a lot over the next year. Will you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark? We're going to try something together that I've never done anywhere else, um, uh, and, and never dreamt of doing it really. Um, but um, we're going to spend a whole year in the Gospel of Mark. A year, yeah, a year. <laughs> Thanks for the enthusiastic response, Val. <laughs> I was, I was wondering, but now I'm. <laughs> yeah, never done this before. Never tried to say, let's just slow down enough so that we get to know one book really well. There's a couple of reasons for it. Um, one is that in the autumn of last year, I just kept getting this sort of refrain coming through to, to me. Uh, just spend a year with Jesus, just a year of Jesus, which didn't seem like a bad idea. And um, so it is in that sort of intentional way of saying, actually, we're going to be looking at Jesus for the whole of the year. We're going to just stay within one gospel, and we're going to get to know it really well. We're going to read it slow enough so that we get to hear it really, really well. Um, when I was putting it together, because um, I'm now in the very weird scenario of knowing exactly what I'm going to be preaching on October the 18th, um, <laughs> that the end of this series will actually be on Christmas Eve. Now, the annoying thing about the Gospels is they tend to finish with the resurrection. <laughs> so I warn you now. <laughs> It'll be a strange Christmas Eve service. <laughs> but actually, thinking it through, it was remarkable how it began to be clear how things would fall together. Hopefully, this will not be tiresome. Hopefully, it'll just be an opportunity for us to actually engage with Jesus over a whole year, slowly enough. If you've got a Bible with you then, um, just uh, turn to chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel and verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I. The thongs of whose sandals are not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This beginning of the gospel begins with an emphasis upon newness, about something has broken into the existing sort of state of affairs. Something new has happened. And what Mark wants to do is for you to grasp that sense of newness. And it's not hard at the beginning of a year, is it, when we're all sort of, you know... In two minds, really, about them all, but the idea of resolution and the idea of making plans and making decisions 
and the weekend papers have been full of all these ways of a new you. And you read it and you think, if only. I think the best, um, the best reflection on New Year's resolution that I saw was actually on Alex's Facebook page during the week. And it was this. This lady saying to the other, my New Year's resolution is to stop putting my foot in my mouth all the time. I bet yours is losing weight, isn't it? And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I kind of like that. <laughs> the New Year's resolution that's broken almost immediately. This gospel is all about newness breaking in. It's all about something has happened that has caused everything to change. And the everything that changes is the oldness, the old way of being, the old hopes, the, the old fears. And actually, Jesus comes as the new king. Let's start at the beginning. It's a gospel. What's a gospel? Well, everybody who's read at least even a little bit of the Bible knows a gospel's not like a modern biography. If you read a story of someone, you want to know. Well, what do you want to know about? If, you, if you're reading a biography of somebody, or if you want to know about somebody, what do you want to know about them? Are they? You want to know the truth about them. What else do you want to know? Where they live. What else do you want to know? Background, what else? How old they are, the character of them, what they've achieved. You might want to know what they look like. You might want to know where they went. You might want to know what they talked about. You might want to know what they did with a child. You want to know the effect of childhood upon them. You might want to know, in fact, many biographies start way back with grandparents and all that sort of stuff. And... Gospels don't do that. There's a lot of things in the Gospels that you'd love to ask, isn't there? You'd like to know, what did Jesus actually look like? You'd like to know things like, how tall was he? I mean, I, mean, I know this isn't sort of like life-changing stuff, but you kind of think, there's stuff here that I'd, I'd love to know the answer about. On Facebook this week, there was a, a link to, through a, a mutual friend to a funeral that the person had been at, a funeral of a woman who was 46. And it was interesting reading the comments of this mutual friend, just how much that friend had made a difference and how inspiring she was and how God had used her in so many different ways. And as I was looking at all these comments, I was beginning, I had this sort of in the back of my mind about trying to grapple with Mark's gospel. And I, I began to realize, I think, in a sense, the gospel is a little bit more like what happens at a funeral. Now, Imagine your own funeral. I know it's difficult because you'll miss it. But imagine, when you get to that moment of your own funeral, what you don't want people to be doing is going, she was awfully short, wasn't she? Just a line. I mean, the, 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 the. But you want them to say more than that, surely. Yeah. We laughed, you see. You want someone to say, short but laughed, with the emphasis upon the second part, not the first part. You don't want people at your funeral going, do you know what? He looked really rough as he got older, didn't he? Those lines on his face, oh, they were awful. No. What you want at a funeral is someone to say, do you know what? They made such a difference. And in fact, what happens at funerals, the best funerals are, someone says, I remember the day when... 
Do you know, yeah? And they tell a story and suddenly you get this picture of who they are. You don't want someone at a funeral giving you a family tree. You want someone at a funeral reflecting on how did family work for them? You don't want at a funeral someone giving a CV of the jobs they did. You want someone at a funeral saying, I worked with her. And this is what you need to know about her. And in a sense, the gospel fits much more into that sort of thing. In fact, what Mark seems to have done is gathered a whole number of stories and brought them and said, and Jesus did this, and he did that, and he did that, and this person was changed, and that person, and this thing, and that thing. And it's kind of like, at the end of it, it's like, you're kind of overwhelmed. Because what Mark really wants to do is keep asking you the question, well, what about you? It's why, that thing about funerals, by the way, it's why adult children find it quite strange sometimes at funerals, because you find out things about your parents that you never knew. <laughs> so this gospel, what is it? Well, it's, it's more than a biography. He's not going to tell you everything you want to know about Jesus. He's going to tell you how did Jesus interact with people? And what happened as a result? And this is how he begins it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's kind of like a title. It's almost like a title for the whole gospel that's going to come. But it's more than just a title. It's a declaration of who Mark thinks Jesus is. The very word gospel, it's kind of like a churchy word now. But it originally, it was a borrowed word. It's a word that people used when the emperor came to the throne. Or when peace was declared. Or when war was declared. And a gospel would be sent out. It's a declaration of something. It's an announcement. It's good news. And it's interesting that Mark begins his book, the gospel, which just means good news. He says, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Those of you who have been around in church know well enough by now, but it's good to be reminded every time that Jesus Christ, it's not like his first name and his second name. <laughs> All right. Christ wasn't his surname. <laughs> That's Mr. Christ to you. It, it wasn't his surname. It was a title. It's easy for us to miss it. But every time you say Jesus Christ, it's Jesus, the carpenter, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the King. Now, it's hard sometimes for us to make that leap in our own mind. Because for many of us, the idea of a king doesn't mean that much. But the one who rules, the one who's in charge, the one who makes things happen around here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus. The one who makes things happen. The son of God. And again, 
in church terms, we're too quick sometimes just to think, well, what he must mean is the second person of the Trinity. Well, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, but that's not necessarily what Mark means here. And that's not what the earliest hearers would hear. What they would hear is the Son of God. The Son of God wasn't this being up there. The Son of God was a way of talking about the king we've always been waiting for. It's why in the Old Testament, King David was talked about as being, you are my son. What's this newness? This newness is, we have been waiting so long for things to change. And Mark says, it's happened. We've been waiting for so long. And he begins it, and it's almost like, of course, in these first verses, we don't even see Jesus yet. It's like, this is the, the beginning of this story, the beginning of the play. And how does it begin? Well, we're reminded that one called John the Baptist would come, and he would be the one who would be the voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is how the story begins. Someone comes and announces it and says, are you ready? Are you ready for this? That's John's task. Something's going to change. Are you ready? And at that time, at the same as it is for us, there were people who said, things will never change around here. There were. There was a whole stack of people who said, things will never change. There were people who said the only way things will change is if we get political change. There were people who said the only way things will change is if some of us get really, really righteous. And there were other people who said the only way we're going to see change around here is if we overturn and we do rebellion. And Jesus comes and he says there's a better way, a different way. It's kind of like everything you feel is right. Whether you're a Christian or not, most of us start on this faith thing with a basic sense of things are not right around here. Do you know what I mean? Whether you're a Christian or not. I mean, it's why non-Christians, one of the things they want to say to Christians all the time is, if there's a God, why? Why do so many bad things happen? And I want to say, do you know what? You're absolutely right to ask that question because that's where we start. Things aren't right. And Mark's gospel begins in the same place and says to all you who are trying to work out how do you live in a situation that you think isn't right, how do you make sense of it? Let me tell you, Jesus comes and he's going to be the one that says, now I want you to follow me because we're going to do this differently. You're not always going to understand it. You're not always going to get it, but you're going to see something new happen in and through me. Are you ready? John the Baptist comes, and people flock. He's like the local revival preacher. People flock to hear him. And he says, I'm going to baptize you in water so you can be clean for your sins, but one's coming. And he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's going to do something that's going to bring you into the very life of God. Are you ready? See, what was going on was... At that time, people had gone back into the land. Long story is the Old Testament, you know it, some of you. 
because we've talked about it before. God gave them a land. Then they decided they could do life without God. They lost the land. They were taken to exiles. The political powers, they were overcame them and overpowered them. And they lost the land. But in time, some of them went back. And they went back, and it felt like God's given us back everything we've lost. Except we've got the wrong rulers. It doesn't feel right. Things aren't right around here yet. So they felt in exile, even though they were back in their own land. And here, John comes and says, everything is changing. I saw that on one of my walks somewhere. Things are changing. Are you ready? And it just seemed to strike the chord that happens here in the gospel. This is how change begins. Someone comes and says, it's not going to be like it's always been. Are you ready? And at this point, all John's saying is, are you ready to get ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come and do something that's beyond your expectations? Are you ready for something new? Or have you just got used to everything being as it is? John begins his gospel and he says, things can change. I'm going to pause for about four minutes then I'm going to come back and say something for two minutes. I'm going to play a film that will tell you the story of the whole gospel. And then I'll come back. The Gospel of Mark is a book in the Bible about the life of Jesus. And the earliest reliable tradition tells us that it was written by a guy named John Mark. Now, Mark didn't just grab a bunch of random stories about Jesus and throw them together. He's designed this book to address some really specific questions about whether or not Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So let's stop right there, because that's a term a lot of people like me aren't very familiar with. Yeah, so the Messiah was a royal figure, sometimes called the Son of God, that Israel was expecting to come and set up a kingdom here on earth. And around the time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by Rome, and so many Jews were hoping that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and rule as king. But Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans. In fact, he was killed by them. And that brings us to the very issues Mark is trying to get at in this book. So in the first half, he focuses on who Jesus is. Is he really the Messiah? And then in the second half, he's addressing how Jesus became the Messianic King. And then right here in the middle of the book is this pivotal story that brings the two halves together, and Jesus answers both of these questions. Okay, so let's talk about the first half of the book, who Jesus is. So Mark makes his beliefs about Jesus very clear from the first line of the book. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. One of the next stories is Jesus getting baptized and God's voice announces from heaven, this is my son. So it couldn't be more clear, it's presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, but as you're reading through this first half of Mark, you'll notice something really interesting start to happen. Jesus is going about healing all these different people, and he's constantly telling them to keep quiet about who he is. This happens so many times in Mark's account, it's very strange. Yeah, why keep it a secret? So remember, lots of Jews had lots of different expectations about what the Messiah would be and do. And so Jesus doesn't want people to misunderstand what it means for him 
to be Israel's Messiah. And so with all that in mind, we come now to the pivotal story at the center of the book where Jesus takes his disciples away and he asks them, who do you all say that I am? And Peter says what everyone's been saying, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But then something new happens because Jesus starts explaining to them how he's going to become the Messianic king. And it is not what they expected. He says he's going to suffer and die and rule by becoming a servant. Or in his words, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to become a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is startled by this and he rebukes Jesus because there's no way he's gonna let Jesus die. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan, which is really intense. It really is, but it highlights how important it is for Jesus that his disciples come to understand who he really is. And so here now in this pivotal section, Jesus tries three different times to have this conversation with them and every time they respond in confusion and even fear. Okay, so this launches us into the second half of the book where Mark addresses the question of how Jesus becomes the Messianic King. It's the last week of Jesus's life. He goes to Jerusalem, gets in conflict with the religious leaders and gets arrested. And he's put on trial as someone who's claiming to be the king of the Jews. He's even given a crown and a purple robe like a king would get, but it is all a cruel joke. Then he's mocked and beaten and hung up on a cross where he dies. And it's here in this crucial scene that we meet a new character. A Roman soldier. Who suddenly gets everything that's going on. He says, surely this is the son of God. Which is crazy. It's an enemy who's first putting it all together that Israel's messianic king is the crucified Jesus. That's the structure of the book of Mark. But the book doesn't end with Jesus dead on the cross. No. So on the third day, some women go to visit Jesus' tomb, only to find that it's empty. And then there's this angel standing there, instructing them to go and tell this good news that Jesus is alive from the dead. But instead, they run away and they don't tell anyone because they're afraid. And that's how the book ends. Which is a really abrupt ending. Yeah, it's so abrupt that later scribes did add an ending that brings more closure to the story. And you'll find that story in your Bible with a little footnote that says it was added much later. But Mark's a brilliant storyteller, and he's intentionally ended this book abruptly. So all through the book, the disciples have been confused about Jesus' plan to give up his life, the story in the middle, and now right here at the end. It's like Mark is acknowledging just how startling this claim really is. And he wants you, the reader, to wrestle with it for yourself. Is this crucified Jesus really the Messiah that they've been waiting for? So that's how it all works together. I'm gonna to ask uh, Ian and the folks to come back because what I wanna say at this point is really simple. And this is kind of where I wanna land it for us. Sometimes I think what we've tried to do, and I know that I've tried to do this loads of times, and I think it's a tempta common temptation for many of us. What we try and do is get Jesus, we kind of like want to recruit Jesus for our cause. Come and help me. Can I get you on my side? And I think what Jesus has often wanted to do is say, that's not really the way it works. I want to know, are you on my side? Are you willing to be recruited for my purpose? And I, I understand it because this is what happens with me. You get into a situation and you think, I've got so much going on, I need help. 
God, will you help me? And then it's easy to get disappointed when it doesn't seem to come. But actually, all the time, what Jesus is doing, and here, John the Baptist is clearly wanting to tell you this is what's going to go on. It's not about, do you want Jesus in your life, but are you ready to follow him? Change is coming. Are you ready? And are you going to stand with him? So as these guys begin to play behind us, one of the things I'd like to ask you this morning is, at the beginning of a new year, there'll be some of you, and it won't be for everybody, but there'll be some of you that go, do you know what? Most of 2016, I I spent much of 2016 trying to get God on my side. Getting God to do stuff for me. 2017 is different. Because 2017 is where you go, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm actually going to say, I'm available for you. I'm going to follow you as king, not try and get you to serve me as though I were king. And I just wonder whether at the beginning of the year, for some of you, it's the moment where you go, that's me. I recognize myself there. And I want to be ready for something different. And as they begin to play, and they'll lead us through into communion then, but just at this point, if you recognize yourself there today, then I just want to invite you to stand. We're not going to do anything weird or strange, but just to stand to your feet as a sign to yourself that says, I'm ready to make the commitment to follow Jesus. Now, for some of you, it'll be something you've never really done before. And for others of you, it'll be done something you've done loads of times in the past, but it's kind of like, yeah, today it seems to make sense. Today's the day when change is coming and I'm ready, I want to be ready to follow him. Bow your head for a moment. And if you know that's you, then just take the courageous stand and a standing, because then I'm going to pray with you and then we'll move on. But if it's you and you go, okay, this year I want it to be different. Instead of getting Jesus to serve me, I want to be ready to serve him wherever he leads me, whatever he's doing with me. I'm ready to follow him as my king. Then just stand where you are now. Lord, we stand together because we recognize the temptation to try and use you for our ends. But we stand because we want to say this year, we will follow you. We want our ears to be open to you so we can really hear you clearly speaking to us. We want our eyes to see where we are and how we are to respond. And we want our hands to be ready to be used by you 
for people around us and for situations. But Lord, this year, we want to stand together to say, this year we will follow you as our king. No more trying to get you to do stuff our way. We're going to do it your way. We want to be disciples. We offer you our lives. Lord, may we follow you. The good news of Jesus, the one who makes everything work. The Son of God, the King, the one we've always been waiting for. Lord, may we follow that good news. May you do a new work in our hearts, we pray, and in our lives. We ask it for your name.